Hello, I'm Rachel Morris and this is episode one of You Are Not A Frog, When Doctors Get Ill. Welcome to You Are Not A Frog, the podcast for GPs, doctors and other busy people who want to thrive rather than just survive. Now, working as a doctor is as demanding as it is rewarding and navigating the high-stress culture at work leaves many of us feeling overwhelmed and exhausted. You may feel like a frog in boiling water. Things have heated up so slowly that you didn't notice the extra long days becoming the norm. You may feel trapped and that you have no control over what is happening. Let's face it, frogs generally only have two choices, stay and be boiled alive or jump out of the pan and leave. But you are not a frog and that's where this podcast comes in. You have many more choices than you think you do. There are simple changes that you can make which will make a huge difference to your stress levels and help you enjoy life again. I'm your host, Dr Rachel Morris, GP turned executive coach and specialist in resilience at work. I'll be talking to friends, colleagues and experts, all who have an interesting take on this so that together we can take back control to survive and really thrive in our work and lives. In this episode, I'll be talking to Dr. Nick Kendrew. He's a GP, Redwell, GP Update presenter and a partner. We'll be talking about what happens when you get ill at work, why it's so important to have supportive colleagues and colleagues who can spot when things are going wrong. I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to You Are Not A Frog and with me today in the studio I've got Dr Nick Kendrew. Um, Nick why don't you introduce yourself? So hi I am Nick Kendrew, I'm a GP, I am a partner down in Kent. It's bizarre you get a, a letter from the RCGP now telling you how long you've been a GP. I got a card about two years ago saying I've been a GP for 10 years which was quite a shock. So yeah I've been a GP for about that length of time, I'm a trainer mm-hmm. Um, I also work for Red Whale, which is a GP update company, and I'm particularly interested in how you can use sort of the media to um, educate either GPs with medical stuff or our patients too. So I think there's there's so many untapped things that you can do with either social media or podcasts or videos and stuff, and that really interests me and excites me. And it's something I've kind of been interested in ever since I was sort of knee-high to a grasshopper, really. So that's me. Hello. <laughs> Hi. So I've got um, Nick on the podcast today because obviously I've met Nick through my work with Red Whale as, as presenter on the Lead Manage Thrive course. And whenever we sort of meet up at Red Whale events, we always end up talking about resilience and mm-hmm. GPs and how to keep working and, you know, maintain your spirit and your, you know, keep up without burning out and without feeling utterly drained and how to balance life and all these different things. And I thought Nick would be really great guest to have on the podcast um, because I think you've got some really good ideas about stuff but also I think you've had some experiences yourself yeah. that sort of a lot of GPs can identify with probably and, and looking back you perhaps would do things in a slightly different way to, to what actually happened yeah. so I was just sort of wondering you were you were telling me earlier about a time when you just joined a partnership where you actually became ill and I think it's quite interesting for GPs especially that we are really bad at being patients I think oh, in lots of different totally. ways in terms of absolutely. accessing health oh absolutely. yeah well I think we make the worst patients and yeah we we always try and convince ourselves that, that, that we're fine so I've been in a partnership for about, for about six weeks and it was a, a bank holiday weekend 
in August and I was getting really bad neck pain and I had noticed that I wouldn't want to wear a tie to work anymore because if I did I felt like I was being strangled and it was getting worse and worse and then some mornings I was kind of being sick literally because I was so tight around my neck before I went to work I was thinking oh, crikey I'm really anxious this is what's going on here but with this neck pain I remember I went and bought a really expensive pillow I think it was about 80 quid I would have paid four million pounds for one because to get a decent night's sleep I was in so much pain I remember going out that bank holiday weekend with my friends and then taking the mickey out of me for buying this ridiculously expensive pillow. And I went back that night and I looked in the mirror and I'd just been cleaning my teeth and I was drinking some water and I looked in the mirror and, you know, in medical school, you talked about thyroid lumps, mm. they go up when you swallow. Swallow, And I looked yeah. in and I was like, what the hell is that? And I had this massive lump and I was like, oh, no, no, it's fine. Um, and but spent the whole weekend because I couldn't access any healthcare for that kind of thing, um, worrying about it. And then as you do, you go to work and you, you say what do you think about this? And everyone's going, oh, no, no, it's fine. <laughs> well, it wasn't fine. And I ended up going to have it looked at. And basically, it was a mass the size of a golf ball that was actually <gasps> pressing on my trachea. And it was in my thyroid, which was nice. So I had to have it taken out quite quickly. Mm. And you know how these things are. Every test you have done is going to tell you something. <laughs> it's going to be going to go one way or the other. It's going to be good news or bad news. And every option was the bad option, including the, the radioisotope scan that I had done. And so they wanted to take it out quite quickly. And so I had to have time off. But all the time before the time off, I was kind of battling on. I felt absolutely dreadful. I was having these really bad hot flushes and all this kind of stuff. And it was only when the senior partner kind of said to me, she kind of sat me down and I knew it was quite serious because she brought in somebody from admin with her. And I was like, oh, Ooh, okay. what's going on here? <laughs> and she said, right, Nick needs to have his complete diary cleared. He's not going to be working here for the moment. He needs to go off and get well. And that's when I kind of thought, OK, right, this is quite serious now. And I needed to have eight weeks off having been there for six weeks as a new partner. And it was mortifying, absolutely mortifying, because I really felt I'd let everyone down. But equally, there's no way I could have continued. I literally was, by then, I was vomiting every morning before getting to work, feeling dreadful. Um, I don't know how I, I got through it. And you know how sometimes, and I suppose this is a marker of when things need to, you need to take a step back. When somebody comes into you and they just give you a list of symptoms and it's like, you know, I've had a, heart, a sore throat for 30 minutes and they kick off at you for keeping them waiting. And your head, you're going, you have no idea, have you? You just literally <laughs> have no idea. And you want to tell... I have a lump the size of a golf ball in my throat and exactly. I'm here. Yes. Exactly. And you want to say what you're really thinking, but you just go, yeah, okay. Thank you. So, yeah, so I had to have that all taken out. And then I had some recuperation time and I came back. And because I was a new person to this game, I had no idea about things like phase returns to work. I guessed that perhaps maybe my team should have thought about that or at least talked to me about it. But they put me straight into duty doctor on my first day back on the Monday afternoon. Mm. Busy afternoon. Um, you couldn't have written it any differently because literally every patient who had a reputation in that practice for causing trouble, came in that afternoon demanding to be seen. And I remember one patient literally coming and screaming and shouting at me for half an hour. And I had literally no idea what was going on because I hadn't seen them before. And by then I was so exhausted and just thought, what is going on? Because I'd had, you know, eight weeks off, I didn't think I could say, hang on a minute, I'm really struggling here because I knew they'd all struggled to cover me when I was away. So I think... We are guilty in this profession and doctors in general and healthcare professionals, caring professionals are guilty about putting everybody before them and not thinking about themselves and kind of looked into this because it fascinates me. And it's, it's particularly it's not just us as caring professionals. It's also people it's worthwhile knowing about for our patients, too, because patients who have have an, an ill family member who they, you know, they care for, particularly 
kids who've grown up with it are vulnerable to this thing called I've forgotten the word now (laughs) (laughs) codependency Um, and codependency is something that is really interesting to read about and it's also to do with people who are suffering from addiction so if there's a family member who's got an addiction and you're their child or or something like that you always put that person first and you don't think about yourself and there's this thing where you lose your sense of self and I have to say having looked at it I think I am vulnerable to that I've been in relationships before where I completely lose who I am I always put the other person first to the point that you know when I've been out with a group of friends and not the my other half at the time they'll say what do you want to drink and I'll go what are you having because I literally have no idea what my favorite drink is anymore because I've lost that sense of self sometimes now I'm aware of it I'm much better at, at you know dealing with that and if I find myself saying to somebody you know going out for dinner and, and you're at the, the restaurant and they say what are you going to have and I normally would have said what are you having because I just can't and now I kind of make myself make a choice and, and one of the ways of dealing with codependence is to look at all those things. And you have, there's an exercise where you have to almost interview yourself and you have to ask yourself, what's your favourite colour? What's your favourite song? Because, wow. because you lose all that. And we are really, really vulnerable to that as doctors and other healthcare professionals because we are taught the patient comes first. And if you do that enough, then you forget who you are. And, and I think particularly in GP at the moment where we are encouraged or we're, we're having to to survive to work really long days and forget about who we are and what we need and the fact that we need to get home and go to sleep you know when we're still at work at 11 o'clock at night then we do lose our sense of self because we are literally putting everybody before us mm. it's fascinating isn't it because if you look at it from the other side you could say actually those patients were probably not getting a great service from you anyway with a, you know the thyroid like that and presumably were you a bit thyrotoxic as well well bizarrely my thyroid function was normal thankfully oh, right. but it felt like it wasn't but no it was fine yeah. but yeah you need to be thinking about the bigger picture and often we kind of think about the fact that it's sometimes a victory just to get to work but actually mm. you need to be at work and being able to function and I think perhaps back then it wasn't that long ago but back then this thing about resilience and about self-care and stuff wasn't particularly mm. hot and it you know it hadn't become an issue and people were just allowed to sort of fade away maybe because mm. there were other GPs to take your place but now that is less the case perhaps. What other factors are there that cause this so I guess always wanting to put the patient first is one thing is there anything else that's sort of innate to doctors do you think that we soldier on despite what our bodies are telling us yeah well I you know I remember being when we were junior doctors and when you're on call and you know I was one of the the last few I never did the hideous hideous on calls but I I would do a 48 hour weekend Mm. and having been on call at work the whole Friday then do the Friday night the Saturday the Sunday and then back to work on the Monday um, so it was all the way through, so whatever that is, but, you know, ridiculous amount of time. And, you know, we weren't given or weren't, there's no protected time in that. You weren't eating, drinking, whatever, um, regularly. You were just doing it as and when. And I think some, a lot of it comes from that kind of mentality is mm-hmm. that you're taught mm-hmm. that as the norm. I remember at the time thinking, this is a bit strange, isn't it? You know, the, the least well looked after people in the hospital and maybe the least well in some cases are the doctors walking around dehydrated and mm. absolutely exhausted and being forced to make these ridiculous decisions about stuff. Yeah. And, you know, we've all been in that situation where we are so tired that if somebody is either, either too nice to you or too nasty to you, that's it. You're just going to just burst into tears and <laughs> just howl in front of whoever it is. It could be the cleaner, it could be a relative, it could be anyone. And that's not a good place to be, is it? <laughs> Certainly not making no, decisions. But it's, but it's completely normal. Yeah. I remember after the, you know, the weekend on call, we used to start at, on Saturday morning, finish on Monday evening. Mm. And regularly on Monday morning in the doctor's mess, you had the, <laughs> the house 
else obviously that being on call all weekend would be in tears you know that was just normal and then we just all all got on with it so we've just been taught through through experience through work that you just get on with it even if you are haven't had any sleep for 48 hours it's still okay Mm. to be functioning as a doctor that's what i think that's that's what we were taught i think hopefully now that's changing and i think the younger generation are taught that that is not okay which is great But because of that, they can actually stand up for themselves and say no. And I think that's why things will hopefully change in general practice, because the new generation are coming and saying, do you know what? It's not okay to work till God knows when for absolutely nothing else. And I remember, you know, being in a salary position at some point, thinking to myself, as it turned midnight, where do I draw the line here? Is this (laughs) is this my my still my yesterday's working day or is this my new working day and when do I say actually enough is enough do I keep working till one in the morning or you know and just thinking this is absolutely ridiculous but not thinking that I could actually say this is wrong because I think a lot of the time and in fact you talk to colleagues sometimes and you talk about workload and stuff like that and I think sometimes there is this it's interesting that people have this perception about time and about If you can do things really quickly, then that means you're a great GP and that you're really efficient and blah, blah, blah. Sometimes you need to do things a bit more slowly to get things right and to make sure you don't make mistakes. But sometimes there's a perception that by doing that, that you're inefficient. Mm. So I think, you know, if you speak out and say, actually, this is taking a long time, I'm not getting home, blah, blah, then you're worried that you're going to be perceived to be inefficient in what you're doing. And maybe there's an element of that. And I think any of us would admit the fact that the longer you doing a job into the evening, the less efficient you get. But, you know, where do you draw the line? And there's a lot of evidence, actually, after 10 hours at work, you might as well not be there. Because after 10 hours, you're not doing anything good anyway I mean it's just I I remember thinking about how my patients that I saw at 5 30 getting a very different experience from the ones I'm seeing at at nine o'clock in the morning totally so you know if you look at all the evidence on productivity the longer you're at something you know you just you're just not performing any anyway so that's tiredness and I think Adam Kay writes about that really eloquently in his book this is going to hurt Mm -hmm. which I would recommend to everyone and I think it's a great book because it's getting the message out there to to the general public about what doctors sort of are enduring in terms of the tight just the sheer exhaustion of these long work weeks and and what they have to put up with also it's a great book to if you're in a relationship with somebody who maybe isn't a doctor and it's great for them to read it to get what you're talking about sometimes and I think there's a new book coming out as well from Adam and he's also on tour at the moment doing some live shows around the country with it so you know if he's still doing them now then it's worthwhile having a look and going to see him because he's very funny as well yeah that would be that would be brilliant to go to I think the other thing that doctors are probably guilty of is thinking that they are more superhuman than they are. Because I think, you know, just from my own experience, I remember doing a... Uh, an entire surgery with appendicitis oh my goodness (laughs) I knew I had it because I'd been up all night with pain and I I hadn't vomited and as the surgery went on it was getting progressively more painful and then I (laughs) I was a trainee at the time at the end of my surgery I knocked on the the GP next to his door I said do you mind just having a look at me I think I've got appendicitis so she put me on the couch felt felt my tummy and then without a word just walked over to the phone picked it up and said to receptionist please cancel Rachel's patience this afternoon because she's going to hospital oh my goodness (laughs) so I had it out that evening but actually I was feeling rough but actually I felt more rough doing a surgery with a bad cold than I did doing a surgery with appendicitis but I don't think we realize how mushy our brains become Mm. when we're physically not well but let's spin that on its head then so it's really Mm -hmm. interesting that your colleague was the one and thank god she did 
She picked up the phone and said, cancel all Rachel's appointments. What would have happened or what would have had to have happened for you to do that? Would you have had to have collapsed mm. or do you see what I mean? Because I think mm. as doctors, you know, something really dramatic would have to happen. We'd have to be collapsed on the floor with a perforation, with our leg having dropped off to not see patients. And it's what's the matter with us? Why do we? Why do How we? How far does it have exa- to get? Exactly, like, it has to be golf ball size. Well, yeah, yeah, for you to yeah, stop it. <laughs> totally. I know. So, I, how long it been there for? I've no idea. But yeah, it's, <laughs> it's funny. I remember. Uh, I, I think in in that case, I was a trainee, so I didn't really, you know, didn't really know what to do. But mm. you know, I remember another time as a salaried doctor, I had an extremely painful condition, and I've been putting up with it for quite a while, and I was doing a morning surgery, and I was in absolute agony, and I then I sort of realised halfway through seeing a patient I had not taken in anything this patient had said for the last 10 minutes <laughs> and I just had to finish the consultation and I ran next door said to one of the partners I'm sorry I'm le- I've just got to leave mm. <laughs> and left left with a surgery of sort of 12 12 patients yeah. the reason I had to was because I realized I was so unsafe because I was in such amount of pain mm. I couldn't take it in so there's lots of things that can affect our performance pain being mm. a massive one mm. but also you know I think that I mean those were very physical conditions but you know there's a lot of people soldiering on with really bad depression mm. really bad anxiety and you know, there are mental health things that aren't so physically obvious are there as well but they really affect our, our ability I think to perform really well Absolutely. And I think, you know, you're absolutely right that with physical things, it's easier to take time off. And what is so heartbreaking is to say the words I'm going to say now, that there's this huge stigma about mental health, particularly in the healthcare professions. And people that that have to have time off for their own sort of mental health reasons you know they often try not to do that until the last minute again Mm. maybe because of some of the reasons we've talked about but there is this this real stigma as well and it's easier to have time off with a broken leg than it is to have time off with depression or anxiety or something like that and to even admit to the fact that you're an anxious person is a difficult thing to do you can say i'm anxious and i've been doing this this, and this to make it better but to actually if you went to and said i'm anxious i really don't know what to do about it then i think you know people would maybe not look so kindly on that which is terrible because you know we are in a position a unique position because we've got access to stuff to be able to help our friends and colleagues in that kind of situation Mm. Um, but equally I think that we are all working almost to the very limit of what we can cope with at the moment and so sometimes that element of self-care is one of the first or not self-care of caring for others is one of the first things that goes and and we need to be aware of that because that was one of the first signs of burnout as well isn't it I think you know it's so interesting isn't it that we are so much more well so much less likely to have compassion on ourselves and our colleagues for you know for maybe some of the mental health problems whereas with our patients we're always saying you know you need to take time off you need to look after yourself you need to you know and you need to do that sooner rather than later but when it comes to ourselves we're like actually no I can soldier on and if I'm soldiering on then everyone else has got to soldier on and it sort of becomes this siege mentality whereas we know if you you know spot something early and get appropriate treatment and time off then that will probably avoid like a six month work time off later yeah. or up to, up to a year when you have eventually burned out exactly and it's all do as I say not as I do isn't it that's the thing that maybe we need to be more aware of but I think also the reason why people maybe aren't quite so kind to themselves is that they are aware of the fact that if they have time off then it's almost going to be a domino effect because they're feeling it there literally are no GPs to step into their place trying to find a locum is difficult enough 
trying to find someone to fill in you know maternity cover is difficult to find too but you know if you need time off you need time off but but everybody else then feels the pinch as well and I think that's why people try and hold on as long as they can whereas you're absolutely right a short period of time off may then mean that you're not off for longer in the, in the longer term um so yeah it's, a, it's about being aware of that and trying to you know find ways but also it's, it's about in our day-to-day lives when we're not at work and I say that um, as somebody that probably is at work too much. It'd be much nicer. I'd love to have a, a work-life balance. Isn't that something we always say in our appraisal every year about improving our work-life balance? Mm. I've yet to tick that box properly. But, you know, in our time away from work, we can be doing stuff that, that helps with sort of own self-care and resilience and all that kind of stuff. And I think it's interesting. Uh, all the reading I've done about it kind of helps you to or makes you look at how you are when you're functioning really well, what do you do? Mm. And make a list of those. So things like going to the gym, going for walks, going for runs. Mm. Then the difficult bit is to be aware of when those things drop off. Mm. And because they are kind of soft markers, that's the beginning of you not functioning as well as you maybe would have been otherwise. And then you've got to admit to yourself that this is what's going on and trying to find ways back, if that makes sense. Mm. So what do you think we can do as GPs for ourselves and our colleagues? Looking back on that experience with the thyroid cyst presumably by the way everything's all all right now and it, the story had a happy ending yeah it's all fine it's, it's basically it's um i have half a thyroid now it's all fine it's <laughs> working beautifully but yeah oh, they got it out just in time because i went back afterwards and the guy said he originally said oh it looks absolutely fine and then i went back and he said oh if you have the histology back and it actually looks like it's nasty inside but we need so we need to spend two weeks going through it with a fine tooth comb to make sure that the it hasn't breached the capsule because if it has you're going to need to have lots of other treatment but luckily it hadn't and I'm fine. So that's good. Good. <laughs> good. So the story has a happy ending. It does. What would you do differently next time? Are you constantly stressed and thinking about work? Does your laptop come with you on holiday? Your to-do list have permanent residence in your brain and your worry about how to handle the latest crisis wake you up in the small hours? Then it's time to get your life back and that's exactly what our brand new online course will help you do. It's a 60-minute reset for healthcare professionals to shift your mindset so you can set boundaries and limits around your work without the endless guilt that you've not done enough. It's just £27 and you can get instant access now when you go to shapestoolkit.com slash getyourlifeback. I think next time I, well, not next time, but, you know, should anything awful happen ever again, um, then I would probably talk to my colleagues a bit earlier and just say, these are my concerns. I need to go and get this sorted out. Um, I need to have this, that and the other. Actually, this reminds me, I need to be more assertive about having tests done. Because I remember I had to have a nuclear medicine scan done and, they, and it was on the NHS and they give me a slot at, say, five o'clock in the afternoon which clearly I had to get to it was really important and they hadn't I think they'd give me a, a later an early finish on my surgery but it was only like four o'clock which I was a bit worried about you know so you, you're a bit like a cat on a hot tin roof and, yeah, yeah. I, and I kind of said I'm really sorry I can only do one visit today and I remember one of the other colleagues got really shirty and said we've all got busy days today you know and what I should have said was well Yes, I kind of get that. And I'm sorry that we've got busy days, but I'm the only one that has to go and then have this scan, which could be life changing. So please mm-hmm. give me a bit of a break. But I actually mm-hmm. found myself, I'm really sorry. What can I do? Mm-hmm. And I, what was I think, you know, and, and it's just mm-hmm. I think you think you feel quite vulnerable. And I think now, mm-hmm. you know, 10 years down the line, I think I would actually take a stand and say, hang on a minute. You know, what's going on here? Because this is not happening. I'm going to that scan and mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, I think we need to we need to be assertive for ourselves. We need to be our own best friend, basically. 
basically. If mm. you know, think about what would your best friend say stood next to you if somebody spoke to you like that, and have a bit of you know fire in your belly to stand up for yourself. I think it's very easy to be a bit meek and mild mm. in these kind of situations, and so I think hopefully I'll be better at that. And it's I think it's about about planning. I think sometimes when these things happen and illness comes out of the blue, it's difficult to plan. But if there's any element of planning then that's possible and just be open with the practice manager and say look we need to find a solution to this problem what what's going to work for everyone but at the end of the day we need to find because i need to go to these these appointments here here and here and we need to get it sorted out so yeah those are the things that i would probably change mm. i think it's interesting isn't it because i think what triggers us is that we don't want our colleagues to think badly of us yeah. do we exactly. um, a lot of the time and um and, and that's really biological because when we were living in caves <laughs> we didn't want the the group to not like us because if they didn't like us we'd be chucked out we'd be exposed we'd be eaten by bears yes. and so the drive <laughs> to have people like us and not let people down is actually really it's as, as strong a drive as physical safety Absolutely. so it's really hard to do this but I think if you're it's interesting you talked about this you know that time when you talk about the visits and you know I can only have one visit and I guess the problem in that context in that situation probably they were feeling a bit you know in their amygdala threat zone because they could see all this work and mm. they're thinking oh crumbs we're never going to get home mm. so what you're saying about planning is really important so having that conversation at another time yeah. when it's not in the midst of trying to sort out the workload where it might be just with the practice manager and one of the partners in a calm safe space you could say this is actually this is what I need and recognize yeah. what you need give yourself more time so finishing at four <laughs> that's really stressful isn't it because you've got to make sure you're not running late and get yeah. to the hospital presumably and park yeah. and everything like and that and the hospital was a good probably 45 minutes to an hour's drive through rush hour traffic so why didn't i say to them let's just cancel <laughs> the whole afternoon but equally yeah. looking back i'm not so sure that that the, actually the other doctors knew that that scan was happening on that day so it's maybe just about simple communication so yeah. you know yeah. and also i guess yeah. being vulnerable with people because you know saying I've got, I've got this medical problem i've got this this problem i've got this diagnosis this is what's going on with me and most people are compassionate if yeah. they understand what's going on but yeah. We don't like to tell them and we don't like to be honest because we think it might, well, I don't know what we, th you know. But I think also if, if you're brand new to, to a role, to a job, mm. then often, I think particularly now, and I think back then it was similar because they'd been waiting because one of the partners had resigned about six months before and they were waiting because mm. I was on the VTS at the time and they wanted me to finish and they were waiting for six months for me to join. So, and it's similar now that, you know, if you got a new GP, if you found a new GP, there's almost like, oh, the saviour is coming to the practice and, yeah. and you feel like a right failure if you go off after six weeks and then, you know, they're back to how they were before with this horrible workload. Mm. So I think when you're new, you don't really stick up for yourself as much because you're trying to is this the whole you want to be liked business you're trying to be the best mm. you can be but that can take its toll too I mean I remember being in a practice somewhere else quite a long time ago and we had a new partner that started who looking back perhaps wasn't hugely well and they literally burnt out within about two weeks you know and they probably weren't expecting the workload that was coming so even when you're new to a role it's important to stick up for yourself and say you know I'm struggling or whatever and hopefully things like induction and stuff would happen and they would make that not happen but you know you still got to be, be self-aware I think is really important this self-aware business mm. and how can we support each other as colleagues more because I'm sure you know all of those people all of those partners all those GPs probably hear it if they heard this they'd feel dreadful they'd think oh crumbs how how did we not know about that how did you know why did Nick have that experience we would never have wanted him to that have that experience what sort of top tips would you have GPs to be able to firstly recognize you know when a colleague is struggling 
Um, and then secondly, to actually, you know, what can they do when we are all overwhelmed with work? What can we do to help? Well, this is it. And I think that one of the things that I've heard talked about time and time again, and it basically it keys into what I'm about to say, which is that we need to be talking to each other. Mm. And one of the things that would be really great for that, it doesn't happen where I work at the moment because we are too busy, but I think that's probably part of the problem. But this whole thing about getting together for coffee or something, a regular daily meeting where you can chat and, and just, how are you? You know, when do you ever get a chance to, to do that? And that's when things come out like that. And, you know, it's a basic human kind of thing to ask somebody how they are. And I think when you're busy, you just, it's very easy. I could go to work. I could stay in my room all day. I could not speak to another soul apart from my patients and then go home at ridiculous o'clock at night. And that's so easy to do. I make a point of going in and talking to sort of my colleagues, but that means me knocking on their door and opening their door and then thinking, oh my goodness, they want to be doing the work that they've got on their desk. But, you know, and some come to me and we have a chat and it, that's really nice. And I think one of the things that my other colleague does, and I try and do this as well, is when I finish my phone calls at the end of the day and he does it as well, he will wedge his door open. So his door is open. And so it's more of a, you know, come in kind of thing, which is a nice thing to do, I think, because when the door's shut, then that's another barrier to people thinking maybe they don't want to be disturbed and all that kind of stuff. But it is this this human, basic human interaction every day. And that's when you notice when colleagues are perhaps struggling. And I think it's also really important if you know that a colleague is going through a bad time. I've had sort of friends and colleagues who have been going through relationship breakdowns and things like that. And it's really important to check in on them, particularly if they're going for a really messy divorce or something like that, because those people are very vulnerable and you know there are high suicide rates and it's really important to talk to people about this i was seeing a colleague professionally about my health again <laughs> i seeing a cardiologist recently and he was telling me how one of his colleagues had committed suicide and nobody knew it was you know nobody saw it coming mm. and it's really awful you know for somebody to be that lonely and vulnerable and to feel that there's no way out is just hideous and you know we can't prevent every single case because if somebody wants to do it they're going to do it but you know, if if we can save one person by just having a, a friendly conversation, a human conversation mm. that isn't about work, then that can make all the difference sometimes. And and I, you know, would advocate that. And if, if I could change anything where I work, it would be to try and find a way where we could have a daily coffee meeting or something just to have this human interaction. I mean, it, it does happen, but it, there is a, you know, it's, it's kind of you really have to work at it. Um, but I think when you are so overwhelmed with work, it's a bit like talking about these markers again, about when you're functioning well, you know, that coffee break is the first thing to go, which suggests that you're not functioning very well. Mm. It's really interesting because when I talk about the sort of vortex of busyness, which, you know, when the workload builds up, when everything starts to get on top of you, you're right. The first thing that goes is often the thing that you really need to build yourself up. And yeah. you have all these ways to protect yourself from that. And the, the number one resiliency protection factor is connection, is connecting yeah. with other people. Mm. And, you know, I think coffee is, is a brilliant way to do that. And there's also masses of evidence from the Harvard Business Review. There's a paper published recently about teamwork and team performance and how you work much, much better as a team, um, depending on the amount of informal connections you have throughout the day. So the more informal chats, the more informal connections, you're going to put up, boost your productivity. But also you're going to build trust within the team. Yeah. So, yeah, if you've been having coffee with that person two or three times a week and they're spotting you're telling them that you know you're not feeling so well or you've you've had another 
bout of depression that you've had in the past, that person's much, much more likely to be compassionate towards you when you've got to go off for, a, for an appointment, Absolutely. for example. Definitely. And if they know what's going on in your life, et cetera, et cetera, it's going to be much, much more helpful. So it's, I guess it's about us being vulnerable with each other. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, we are we shouldn't forget we are all in this together. And it's about noticing those subtle changes in, you know, somebody that, you know, is normally very jovial and laughing and joking and can cope with everyday stuff. If they suddenly start asking you lots of questions about what to do with this patient, what to do with that patient, mm. you know, and I speak from experience. I I was quite anxious about, oh, probably about 12 years ago, similar time to the thyroid. <laughs> and I remember thinking to myself, OK, I'm going to go to work today, but it, and the way I got to work was it's going to be fine because I've got all my colleagues. And if I'm worried about something, I can just ask, ask them. Mm. And I had a really good colleague um, who I used to work with and I miss him terribly. He's a really good mate. And at the end of the day, he just said, Nick, are you OK? Because, you know, mm. I'm not making anything of this, but just so that you're aware, you've literally asked me for a bit of advice about pretty much every patient you've seen today. Even mm. if it's just saying, what do you think about this? And I was like, OK, yeah, fair point. And I just got to get myself get really anxious and we went out for a drink and we had a chat about what was going on and it was absolutely fine and that's what I needed I just needed mm -hmm. to be able to have an informal chat about something and I was fine after that but it's you know you need a friend or a colleague to point stuff out to you sometimes it's fine to be you know sort of care about what you do for your patients but when it becomes kind of hyper vigilant and you're just worried about everything else then that can become a problem particularly if you're asking about every single patient yes, which makes yeah. you turn into a you know what i used to do when i was a registrar kind of thing when i was a very new registrar mm. so but again it's about markers and about being aware of trends mm. and about you know and that basically was nipped in the bud just from having a chat with somebody that knew me well enough to pick up on it rather than thinking who's that irritating fool who keeps asking questions <laughs> <laughs> so it's really important then to actually be working with people who you can connect with who you like and who you get on with and who you can be open with absolutely and that's why it's really important when you join a practice to to make sure you you take some time to think about are these people that i do i like these people can i connect with these people are the people i can see myself working with down the line could i see these people socially because you know that kind of level i'm not saying you have to kind of live in each other's pockets but to have some kind of friendship is is an important and very valuable thing and we'll see you through the tough times. And I have been through some very, let's say, some tough changes at old places that I've worked. And some days it's felt like you're in an episode of EastEnders because it's like, you know, you know the drums at the end of each episode. Yeah. They, <laughs> they would happen doom, several times doom, in a day. Doom, doom, <laughs> exactly. It's like, oh, my goodness, the drains have now blown up. And then, doom, 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 doom. you know, it's just... <laughs> but it's got really mad things were going on left, right and centre. And the only yeah. way I got through literally it felt like the whole place was falling down about around our ears was the fact that I was with two other colleagues who basically got who I was mm -hmm. I got who they were and we could just tell it how it was and we would get through one day at a time in little nuggets and that's how we did it because it was just hideous mm. <laughs> um, but mm. yeah thank god for them basically mm. so messages you do need friends at work yeah you do need friends at work I think a lot of people think that Actually, no, work, work is work and I keep it very professional and I'll have all my friends outside of work. But actually, if you're working 13 hours a day, mm. three or four days a week, then, then you need to have someone you connect with. Someone told me recently that, and, and it was a very trustworthy source, so I do trust this, although I'm a bit incredulous about the statistic, that having a good friend at work adds seven years to your life expectancy. Wow, that's pretty good. I mean, that's, you know, as much as, I guess, 
picking up smoking or, yeah. or something like that. It's, it's amazing, isn't it? Completely. But it's, it's, uh, but so, it's so protective. Yeah, yeah, uh, very protective. But, it, you know, it doesn't have to be a, another GP or something. You need to have some kind of, you know, you need to have somebody you can confide in. And it can be anybody mm. in the building. And, you know, it, it can be about so many things. And you hear stories about people who are struggling with aspects of, say, their sexuality or something like that. And, and when they come out, they need to have somebody who they can confide in. Mm. And, you know, if, if you're in that situation and you're a GP or something like that, if you have got nobody to talk to, you can feel very alone. And, and yet if there's somebody in the building that knows what you're going through and where you're at until you're ready to tell everybody else then that, that can make all the difference. And just knowing, just even like a knowing look or a supportive look from somebody can make all the difference in a really difficult day. And so, yeah, it can be anyone that you connect with in that building. Yeah. So how do you do that then? How do you build... So we're all so busy, aren't we? We're all working behind closed doors. Yeah. How do you make a good friend at work? How do you build up good relationships with the people that you work with so that you can count them as friends or people that you can talk to? Well, this is interesting, isn't it? Because it's all about sort of making connections and, and trust. And it starts with a little conversation, doesn't it? And I find that I know my one of my old practices, I was very friendly with one of the, the ladies who did. She she was, we used to be a part of dispensing um, practice. And so she used to work in dispensary and then she became in charge of prescriptions. So you have quite an interaction with somebody in that role. And she was probably in her 60s, late because she retired when I was there. So she's a bit like a mum figure to me, really. And she would come in and chat and how are you doing? what's going on and and you know she was somebody that I would confide in and in Mm. fact and I'd only been there for that short time when the thyroid thing happened Mm. and I think she was the first person I told um Mm. and she was the one that kind of said look you need to get this sorted out and you know she she, I think she even kind of said look I think you should talk to the practice manager and and almost Mm. made that happen and it's it's just having that one person just to help that kind of situation and you know it's it's about those little chats and you know similar thing my new practice one of the people in dispensary we just hit it off and have a bit of a laugh and have a chat about it and because they're often coming in and out with queries and stuff it's that interaction that friendly interaction that that makes a difference so yeah so it doesn't have to be a a gp or you know a a clinician Mm. but often you have those chats about patients and stuff which can lead on to to other things as well so it's just about finding somebody that you click with because Mm. you need to be on the same wavelength they need to get you you get them then it's kind of shorthand you don't have to explain yourself all the time it's just about having that interaction yeah you know i think we really do overlook building up relationships with work colleagues. I remember my last practice, I, I was only working there a day a week, so it was quite hard to get continuity and really get to know people. And I ended up going on a training course and one of the nurse practitioners gave me a lift. And so there were three of the nurses and me in the car and I didn't really know them. And because we'd had a half an hour car journey, we had a brilliant laugh in the car, discussing mm. all sorts of things. It just transformed work for me because then I would see them at coffee time We'd know a lot about each other. We'd know we'd had, yeah. a, we'd had a great conversation and the quality and the depth of the conversation was very different to how it had been before because they just, they knew me. Yeah. And it didn't, it didn't take a lot, but actually I think it's important to maybe think about socialising outside of work with the people at work. Yeah. And, and we've, we've had a few sort of bonding sort of social occasions at our last practice and my current practice. Mm-hmm. I mean, my last practice, we got a coach. We were in Kent and we all got a coach and we went down to Brighton in the summer and some of us swam in the sea. <laughs> 
and it was the coach Joe. I remember sitting next to to one of the secretaries on the coach and having a real gossip and a real good chat, and we really got to know each other. And it transformed work when we came back. And I think the fact that we we, we went to this show in the main theatre in Brighton, it was meant to be like the musicals through the years or something. It was just awful. <laughs> it was so funny, and the kind of the, the finale involved. I think it was YMCA where one of them dressed up as a builder. One of them is a Native American in the kind of the feathers and all the with the skirt and everything. And the guy in the skirt did a twirl and it became apparent that he had no underwear on. Um, <laughs> and I just looked at one and said, did we just see that? And, was, and we, was that on purpose? It, it, well, I have no idea. It was just, it was quite a shock. And But we were kind of rolling around on the floor laughing, thinking, have we just really seen that? So that, we bonded because of that, really. Um, we were traumatised. So, you know, things like that are mm. interesting for us to, to, yeah. to do. And, you know, it doesn't have to be a show like that. It can, it can be any kind of show. Um, but, but, you know, where I go now, we go on, on walks as a practice, yeah. which is probably tamer. And and no yeah. nudity, hopefully. So <laughs> <laughs> it's funny when you said, "Oh, you know, we got a coach." I was thinking, "Oh, they had some coaching, but oh, now you got an actual coach <laughs> took you to yeah. Brighton." We were sat on a coach on the way to Brighton. Yeah, yeah. But I guess there's all sorts of things you can do as a practice, can't you? You could get a, a, a person as a coach in, you know, if there's some issues with a team to think about goals and or, or to think about, you know, strategy and what and what you want to do. Or, you know, even just even just going out for a meal occasionally and, you know, things like that. So Absolutely. it's just it's just so important yeah. in, in all sorts of ways, isn't it? So top three tip, what advice would you give to yourself if you developed you know, and let's face it, we're all getting older, aren't we? We mm-hmm. are all going to develop medical problems. What roadmap would you give yourself what advice would you give yourself next i think the first thing so yeah okay so the first thing to do would be to be honest with yourself that there's an issue and it needs to get sorted Mm -hmm. out and to make sure you see a a, a gp you know your own gp so you need to make time in your life to see your own Mm -hmm. gp because it's all very well asking colleagues for what they think is going on but at the end of the day it's not fair and particularly mm-hmm. if they were to get it wrong, which could be very awkward. So you need to, you know, involve your own GP to help them to then guide you through what's going to happen next to get the the treatment that you need and to get sorted out as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. To be open and honest with the practice manager and the other partners or the other doctors in the surgery. Mm-hmm. And just to say, you know, this is where I'm at. And then mm-hmm. kind of have an honest conversation about how you're feeling about it all. Mm-hmm. Because if you are struggling mm-hmm. with it for whatever it is, that's really important to flag up too. Because they might be thinking oh, you know, oh, we, they haven't got a test today or they haven't got a test till next week. But actually, if you're falling to pieces because you're worried about the whole thing, then that's really important. And I suppose mm-hmm. if, it's re- if it's really affecting you and maybe it's affecting your, your care of your patients, do you need some mm-hmm. time off? And that's not easy to negotiate or to talk about. But at the end of the day, you know, we're all very vulnerable if we make mistakes and stuff. So we need to yeah. be making sure that that isn't happening and we don't want to and compromise our patient care either. Yeah, so being honest about how much time you need off as well. Yeah. Mm. because no no one's going to give you a medal for going in when you're ill and in yeah. fact the GMC certainly won't look favorably on that either yeah and you probably won't find people stick up for you and go well you know it's because we needed them to come in you know they you know so you do need to be your own yeah. best advocates yes, and yeah. think about what you said earlier thinking about you know if this was my best friend what would I be advising them yeah and then just get rid of the g word <laughs> <laughs> 
The guilt. Yo. The guilt about doing it. Guilt is, uh, I'm so bad at with guilt. I need to really work on that. <laughs> I was brought up a very strict Catholic, and so guilt is, Ooh. yes. I think I might be quite lapsed now, but um, <laughs> but guilt is is in there. I, I went to a convent when I was at primary school with nuns, so you can imagine guilt is a terrible thing. Okay. Yes. Mm. <laughs> we all have it, don't we? And as particularly as doctors, it's guilty about letting patients down, guilty about letting our colleagues down. Yeah. And actually, it's something that's out of our control. You know, our health largely is out of our control, yet we then feel that we you know we have control and that make that can be really really stressful so so i guess maybe maybe guilt is another uh, topic for another podcast on another definitely. day definitely absolutely it's a lot we could say about that isn't it <laughs> so brilliant well thank you thank you nick for coming on the podcast today and i think it's probably important to say to people as well not to forget the other sources of support that are out there so the gp health service you know if you are struggling and you know you recognize some of the things we've been talking about please talk to a friend talk to your gp but also there is this this gp health service is a fully confidential service and i think it's been really really helpful to a, a lot of people that have gone yeah, through it absolutely and you know and actually access to the gps you know in your community that maybe not inside your practice but you know talk to talk to other people you can talk to your appraiser if you get on with with them well you know because I, I think the one thing we do is just bottle things up and wait till there's a crisis before we before we start talking yeah so really really important to get the help and thank you nick that's and pleasure. hopefully we'll come back and we'll talk about yes. guilt that'll be a good one won't <laughs> yes <it>? that'll <laughs> be a very interesting one <laughs> you take care and thanks for having me it's lovely Great. to talk to you cheers Rachel. okay take care. have a good bye day now. bye cheers bye thanks for listening if you enjoyed this episode then please do subscribe to the podcast and also please rate it on itunes so that other people can find it too do follow me on Twitter at Dr. Rachel Morris and you can find out more about the face-to-face and online courses which I run on the youarenotafrog.co.uk website. Bye for now.